1986, they invaded our world. Drea, did you see that? I think it was an alien spaceship. Don't be weird, Philip. Now they're back. Hello? And hungry. <laughs> for more. Christ. They're furry. Aw, he's so cute. Ferocious. What the hell is that? And they love. What's that sound? Fast food. Aliens are real. Hey, Drea, how's babysitting? It's going great. This time, you're telling me this one's good? Everyone is on the menu. We're all gonna die tonight, aren't we? I don't know, but that's a really big gun. Critters attack. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, uh, part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network. I am one of your hosts, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my co-host, Jerry Smith. And we are uh, starting week number three of quarantining, so Jerry, how bananas are you right now on a scale of, you know, one to monkey shit? How are we doing at this point? Oh, dude, I am far beyond monkey shit at this point. Like, I, I, I for like... About an hour this morning, I forgot what day of the week it was. Oh, Time yeah. has no, you know, like my, my wife slept in a little bit ago and like, I didn't give her shit whatsoever. Cause it's just like, mm-hmm. what is time? What is time at this point? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's um, my daughter earlier today was, um, saying how look, oh, tomorrow's Monday. It's the worst day of the week. And I'm like, Ada. It doesn't really matter right now. Like, right. you know, and we're doing a bit of schoolwork with her every day. Like, we do two to three blocks of schoolwork, but we, for the most part, are, I think, letting her, cause she's pretty far ahead. We're just letting her play and do a lot of imaginative things, which is like, well, I still have schoolwork to do tomorrow. And we're like, oh, God, Ada, like, I don't think an hour is going to kill you at this point. Yeah. No, um, dude, compared to like a full day, you know? Oh, yeah. So allegedly the kids, you know, every teacher I've talked to, allegedly the kids are like, oh, we really miss school. We really want to go back. And <sighs> I have my doubts. <laughs> they did. Right. right. Yeah. Right there with my you. <laughs> my kids so, are home, you know. <laughs> Yeah. so i think you know i work in public education and i think maybe we're deluding ourselves a little bit at this point you know we'll see so and i already like looked Uh how long are your kids out for like when do your kids go back right now uh well tentatively uh the end of may wow that 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 is only that is only 
until May comes because like the the voicemail and the email and everything I got from the school districts basically saying that's just the date that we come up we came up with but we're kind of not planning until the basically mm-hmm. next school year <laughs> so, so yeah so we at that point you, your kids probably get out like mid June end of June mm-hmm. so it's almost yeah. like I don't know, what's the point you're gonna go back for like three yeah. weeks like mm-hmm. um. We are scheduled right now, like we originally were April 7th, and then as soon the, the day after Trump had that ridiculous, I want the country opened up by Easter, <laughs> that super ridiculous statement, you know, it's going to get a lot of people killed. Um, the next day, our governor was like, schools are now closed till May 4th right now. Oh, um, so it wasn't even 24 hours that the hammer came down. Um so we have another five weeks of this at a minimum. And then I looked, I'm like, well, we have that, that we have 35 days left of school. And we're yeah, already yeah. like, I mean, I already had the um, count, like the calendar on my desk, like here's how many days we have left just summer vacation. Um, Cause this is all so new to me, like, you know, having like you're off July and August. Um, so I already had that. So I went ahead and did the count, but it would be, I'd almost be a little surprised if we're not, if we're not out longer than that at this point, but who knows? It's just, it's so crazy. Like, I, you know, like I'm, I'm not trying to get political or anything, but like I, every day I, I, I'm scratching my head at this point. Like we're so close to like escape from New York now, like right. just yesterday, like, like, like he's talking about maybe possibly quarantine off, like, like mm-hmm. doing a quarantine on all of New York. Right. It's like, What? Carpenter was right, you know? It's crazy to me. I think that there's going to be, and again, we're not a political, um, we're not a political show. I think anyone who knows Jerry and myself know we lean very far to the left overall. Um, What worries me is I think it's going to start getting positioned for political points as like, oh, this is a New York disease. You know what's funny is, yeah, definitely. It's obviously uh, not. It's obviously yeah. it's not. And, uh, you know, you and I are, we definitely lean more towards the left, like you said, and I'm, I'm very, I'm a very liberal person. But that being said, I also feel like in the upcoming election, like just really quickly, I feel like both sides are going to be using this to try to score points. Like it's of not just like, not. A, I'm not just slamming the right, you know, like I, I, yeah. I also think that like the left, they're definitely going to be. I think everyone is going to be using this as a way to, like, get approval. Right. Of course. Well, yeah, I mean, you see that already. And, I mean, I, you know, like, my candidate choice was Elizabeth Warren. After that, it was Bernie Sanders. Um, But I'm like, all right, we're at the point where, like, let's just kind of coalesce and kind of move forward at this point, which is kind of hard. Um, But it's just like it's, you know, politics aside, take affiliation out of it it's very scary to watch every day what goes on in washington and see the guy leading the country and i i I put leading in heavy quotation marks there um just because he's incredibly stupid i mean he's just like incredibly ignorant and just thinks he can run things on his gut and is dismissive of actual knowledge and it's gonna get a lot of people killed i mean taking aside the fact that you could diagnose him as a narcissist and associate well at least at the very least 
if you were to sit down and do an intake and, and just do a dot from a diagnostic standpoint, um, our president hits all of the trademarks of a narcissistic personality disorder. No, totally. And, you know, for years I've been giving my conservative family members crap just because mm-hmm. we have such venomous disagreements. But that being said, it's not a political thing for me anymore. It's it's a mm-hmm. survival thing. It's a humanity thing. Right. You know, all of us should be banding together. This is a time where our entire country needs to be together. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you believe, what religion, what political preference what affiliation, anything. We need to be together right. in this. It's so crucial, so right. very important. And like I said, it's not political. But when someone is saying that, yeah, you know what? Churches should be filled by Easter. That is how we're all going to die. Yeah. Like, that is not exaggeration. That is not exaggerating whatsoever. Right. That will, is how we're going to die. Uh, not having scientific facts, not not following them, not following doctors. Mm-hmm. That is how we will die. Right. Uh, and also, I mean, this pride game saying that basically don't call the places that need help if they're not giving us the respect. That is yes. not how we survive. No. This is how we die out. And, you know, I could stay inside. My entire family could stay inside and do the quarantine thing till we're blue in the face. Mm-hmm. But if everyone else doesn't do their part, this is how we die. It is that serious, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and that's that's pretty much the candy coated mm-hmm. version, you know. Yeah, it's, it is very crazy right now. And there is, you know, because you see a lot of people going, well, like, it's my God given right to go outside and you can't tell me what to do. And this is interference. And it stems from a lot of different things. There's definitely there's a psychological aspect to it where all the way back to say fdr and world war ii the great depression um through like um churchill and britain getting bombed um through by the nazis in world war ii and keep calm and and carry on there's this idea that's ingrained especially in america where the way we confront fear is by going about our daily business like we will show fear that and we'll show our enemies that we don't really care, that we're not going to let our lives be disrupted by anything. And the best way to combat fear of an enemy is by having things as normal as possible. And there's a real psychological aspect to that and the way it's ingrained in us. Um, and I think the problem a lot of people are having right now, because I think a lot of time this idea of like, I'm just going to go out. Like yesterday I drove by our local ice cream stand lovely place have had many great spring summer evenings there uh enjoying their enjoying their their ice cream it's not only open but it's packed like there were like 50 people out there there were a ton of cars in the lot and no one is giving anyone any space at all right now and i don't think it's just people that are trying to be like, well, I don't care, fuck everybody. I think it's a way that people are trying to fight their fear of this thing. And unfortunately, like a virus is not like a human enemy. You know, it doesn't really care if you're afraid or not. Like a virus just is. Um, So if there's ever was a time to kind of listen to scientists, listen to doctors, listen to the experts right now, um, now is it. Um, Also, listening, listening to that fear... I mean, I, I hate to just randomly quote an album title, but one of my favorite bands of all time, Zayo, 
They have mm-hmm. an album whose the, the title of it makes perfect sense. Fear is what keeps us here. You know? Huh. It's like mm-hmm. that is we kind of need to embrace that fear in a way. Mm-hmm. Not like a not in a, you know, never leave your bedroom thing. You know, right. stay inside, do your thing. But we need to take this seriously, right. you know? Like it, it's it's crucial. And right. it's it's just such a weird existence, man. I talked to my sister earlier this week. Uh, she's a nurse in Portland, Maine. Um, and she works about, you know, like 30 hours a week right now. She kind of doesn't quite do full time anymore because she just had two young kids and she's going to wait till they're in school before she goes back. But she works in a wound clinic in a small hospital in Maine. And she said, like, right now it hasn't hit them that badly yet. But the phrase that she used was like, I feel like we're in medieval times and that I am like a soldier at a castle and I'm one of the knights at a castle right now and I can see the enemy approaching from miles away. They just haven't gotten here yet. Like everyone is in hurry up and wait mode. And she said like right now on Friday is her standby day now where she's in... expecting any day now to get called in on a Friday and be like, all hands on deck, we have to deal with this thing. Um, And she's like, there's very little training for it. We don't have enough supplies for it. She's like, you know, there's, even though the community isn't very large, like it's also, there's not large hospitals there and it's going to become very easy to overrun them very quickly. And it's not just the fact that you're going to be getting She's going to be handling this whole uptick of, of patients right now, but also the fact that people are still going to get sick. People are still going to have car accidents. People are still going to break their arms or their legs. People are still going to get pneumonia, chicken pox. Um, they're still going to have everyday ailments. There's still going to be cancer patients. There's still going to be heart yeah. disease and heart attacks. So not only are you going to be and that can tax the medical infrastructure on any given day, but you add a pandemic on top of that, you know, and it's not now where does the priority come in? Um, very sadly, I had a coworker, they lost, she lost her brother in law to this. Um, he had just gotten an operation and his immune system was compromised. And while he was recovering, got it and, and sadly passed. So it's really, you know, it's a very scary thing right now. My, so. my, one of my best friends, uh, I, th- I think I've written about this a couple times, so maybe mm-hmm. anyone that reads my stuff knows, one of my best friends died about a year and a half ago, and it's because he got, he got really sick, and the medicine that they gave him took out his immune system, and he died from something very, very mm-hmm. common, like I think mm-hmm. the flu or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if that can take someone out... That's a thing. Everyone's like, not everyone. I I hate to say everyone. So, I mean, you know, forget that. But there's a lot of people who are kind of thinking about themselves. Well, I won't get it. I'm okay. But what about the people that aren't? Mm -hmm. And that that mentality is contagious. A a friend of mine posted on Facebook this question trying to, like, add some humor and, you know, just some fun to, like, everything saying, hey, what's a villain that scares you in horror movies or stuff? And I was Mm -hmm. trying to think of, like, okay, is it Michael Myers? And then it just clicked. Right now, what scares me is Miss Carmody in the mist, mm-hmm. you know, because that that realistic villain that 
just has those words that gets into people's heads mm-hmm. and they start believing it and it multiplies and it multiplies. And again, I'm not trying to get political whatsoever. If there's any Republican listeners, I, I respect you tremendously. That being said, we are currently being led by someone who is the male equivalent to Miss Carmody in the midst. Right. And it's important to recognize that. Set your political preferences aside and realize that this is the time that politics mm-hmm. politics don't matter right now. They do not matter. Humanity matters, and it's important. Like I said, it's so important for us to recognize that right. and be and be better. Be better for each other, not just ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I could not say that any better myself right now. So what are you doing to stay sane? Since we've last spoken, what are you doing right now to keep yourself kind of uh, not crazy? Uh, I've been painting a lot, mm-hmm. which is which is really cool. I mean, I've I've done it for a long time, but like you know, not as much. And like that's been fun. And like out of nowhere, I got like this really nice message from Mark Showstrom, which is like mm-hmm. one of my favorite special effects artists of all time, just saying like, "Jerry, I love your paintings. Like, what medium are you using?" Mm-hmm. I was like, "What the fuck? Like, what?" But uh, that uh, and uh, making music, I just yeah. finished. I just finished the kind of like album I'm I'm putting out this Tuesday. I'm, I just finished it yesterday, mm-hmm. and Excellent. it's basic. It's basically we're we're calling it Rainy Days for Ghosts, and it's basically mm-hmm. a fictional. It's a fictional radio program that is kind of like the fake soundtrack to uh, driving through Los Angeles at night. And uh, Zach Showater, who's one of my good mm-hmm. great friends, he's the radio host on the album. Nice. He has such a he has a such a great announcer voice, and it's almost kind of like a Wolfman Jack kind of radio program over these mm-hmm. songs, like interludes and that kind of stuff. So I finished that. That that's going to be coming out uh, this Tuesday. Uh, other than that, I mean, I thankfully uh, been able to start writing pretty regularly again, so I'm jumping on that. Uh, there's this really really awesome collaborative piece on Stuart Gordon going on Morbidly Beautiful this week that I wrote something mm-hmm. for. So I'm excited about that. Excellent. That's very cool. So for me, I, you know, I have done very little with horror lately. I've started to write again. I got a couple pieces that I'm going to shop around. Hopefully someone will, will take them. Um, I've started to like work on that book again, uh, some new chapters to it, some tweaking, some of the old ones. And I'm like, I'm going to, my goal is to put like 25,000 words into it while I'm off um for april and may um but i've been able to do like some other things like i've been able to like finally with my second job as a counselor have been able to do a lot of like telehealth therapy so out of the clients i see about 80 percent of them i'm able to like do over the internet right now which has been really helpful in terms of just adding some structure but uh, i'm going to be working a uh, our school is like giving some of the counselors like cell phones to just be like a call center for some parents or kids that might need, um, you know, especially for parents that are like, hey, I'm feeling really stressed out. What should I yeah. do during this right now? Making sure they have access to any resources they need, if it's extra food or in some cases, unfortunately, shelter to make sure they're in the right direction. And then if we've been able to start to reach out to some of the kids I see at school in a regular basis to like work out like just doing quick little check-ins with them here or there um and then maybe doing some like online groups or meditation work or stuff like that so that's definitely keeping me a bit like having a structure 
um, is what keeps me a little bit more sane. I find the days where I'm like, I have nothing to do right now um, are not good days. I have to ask, though, because I'm so interested in it. Like, what are your plans with the book when you're done? Because I am so excited to read that. Hopefully someone publishes it. And I can say I wrote a book. I mean, that's really it. I I need to reach out to some people maybe that have shopped books before. I've, that's my thing. Like, you know, we got a question on last week from our friend Marcos on part one of the Q and a that we did, which if you haven't downloaded yet, I'd strongly recommend listeners go and do that. It was a really fun thing to do. And he was like, how do you break into, uh, you know, bigger sites? Like one thing I'm very bad at is self-promotion with other things overall so like i've never been good at pitching myself or my ideas to other um sites or things like that so it's going to be interesting to see you know what's going to happen with it overall i need to look up some small publishers that might be might be interested in doing something like that i i would recommend uh bear Mm -hmm. manor bear Mm -hmm. manor uh, publishing company they're who i was going through with the book about the making of cobra Mm-hmm. Uh, really excellent place. Uh, okay. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot out there, and dude, like, I'm so just, I'm so into the whole mm-hmm. like horror horror publishing kind of thing. I pay attention right. to all that stuff, and dude, there is such a market for that book. And like, yeah. Everyone I've said like this is an idea. Like, it's a book where you take characters from horror movies, you diagnose them with actual. You know, DSM-5, which is the the guideline we use Mm -hmm. as counselors to actually diagnose our clients so they can receive the proper treatment and then write up a treatment plan, like what I would actually use with them. And the idea is to use all sorts of like different... different counseling modality modalities so for like the babadook i'm using like narrative therapy um using exposure therapy for laurie strode in halloween um so things of that nature um using like motivational interviewing with uh, jack torrance and alcohol withdrawal sim- uh al- alcohol withdrawal syndrome so yeah. things like that and some of the things like um, i i want to do a chapter on um like dis like body dysmorphia and um sleepaway camp but that can yeah. be a little bit sensitive um so things like uh, of that nature overall and there were a couple others so i'm like mm, i'm not sure if i'm 100 percent. like for example like texas chainsaw massacre in autism because i think you know leatherface overall is, is is very much on the spectrum but yeah. how do you handle that in a way that is not offensive um so that's going to be interesting to see if i actually have the chops to pull that off somehow but we'll see see you're already a better therapist than Mm -hmm. dr loomis (laughs) yes dr loomis would just pump six bullets into everybody in this book he's pretty much like oh you're going through this pow pow yeah Yeah, there you go i saw the blackest eyes you know so i've also uh i've also been playing video games a decent amount my wife and I are so into Borderlands 3 right now. Mm-hmm. Like, God, I love that game. And, like, I'm I'm really bad with single-player games. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm so just, like, awkward with, like, online multiplayer stuff. Like, I have to, I have to learn to do better with that. Yeah. So I've been, like, 
I've been like flirting with the idea to get like uh, Dead by Daylight and all these things, mm-hmm. but it's just like you know what I mean. Like I, I'm really bad with like online multiplayer stuff. I yeah. gotta look, be better at that. So I've been playing. We actually had a pretty fun game the other night. A few of us did the Friday the Thirteenth um, multiplayer game, mm-hmm. and I suck at that game, but it's it is a lot of fun. Um, so like Brad McCarg, who's been on our show, um, yeah. Vincent DeSanti, the director of uh, Never Hike Alone, and now um, the follow-up for that is coming out soon. Was in like I happened to jump in on a game he was in on, and that was a lot of fun. And I got invited to do another one, and just like I was, it was super late, and I ended up conking out before. But I definitely want to do that, and I think we've gotten the game handles from a bunch of our listeners i'm going to put that out again like i am more than um more than ready to do uh some like uh, friday the 13th online with a bunch of our listeners and other people yeah yeah uh, if i could get if i could get the hand or get the hang of all of that i would love to do that too mm-hmm. that'd be great and i think the thing about it is we all suck at it like everyone that plays that game like we're all pretty terrible at it it was just a way to kind of like you know, you get online, you throw on the headset, you catch up with everybody, you have some laughs, you do a little bit of drinking. Um, no one is taking the game serious. Like, I was Shelly for one of the characters, and that was very, <laughs> made me so, so happy. Um, and can we talk a little bit about the script reading we want to do? I think if we do that, oh, that'll yes. kind of like push it to make it real. Um, I want to do that so bad. So I had this idea... I'm like, can we, you know, ever get our hands on like a, a digital copy of like some horror movie scripts and then just like stage some readings with some friends over Skype and then post them. And uh, out of that, I think Mike Vanderbilt and Nat Bremar had the idea, like, why not do some of the great unpublished horror movies? Um, and I know Jerry and Mike have access to some really good unpublished material overall and i think what would what do we decide for the first movie we're gonna do uh it was maximum king right mm-hmm. yeah maximum king which maximum is king oh maximum king was a script that was on the uh the blacklist a few years ago which is a annual list of the best unproduced scripts and maximum king what it is is a fictional biopic about the making of maximum overdrive <laughs> Like, it, it has a way coked out Stephen King, uh, Emilio Estevez, uh, Dino De Laurentiis as, like, this mm-hmm. kind of dictator producer. Like, it's fantastical. It's a movie that can never be made with how mm-hmm. salacious it is. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, it is one of the best, like, the funniest scripts I've, I've ever read. And I, I think that's what we're going to do. I believe so. And we've got like a lot of people have said like, I want, and obviously the hardest part anytime, the hardest part of this is going to be getting everybody to like agree to a day at a time. Cause even though we're all kind of shut in right now, we still have like family obligations and whatnot or some work things, even if you're working at a home, but I'm hoping we can at least make this one happen and then do a few more of them overall. I think Tommy, uh, Tommy Hudson, who, uh, wrote the book Never Sleep Again. Um, said he wanted in for this as well, so hopefully we'll get him because he was a hoot to have on when we had him Uh-oh. for. Uh, was it was it New Beginning? I'm trying to think which episode he jumped in. It was in the New, on. Blood. It was it was the the new blood. blood. That's right, because yeah, he was team 
he was team Tina, if I remember. Or yeah, team it was, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tommy Hudson and uh, yeah. Peter Brackey, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think like Tommy said he would come on. Um, and I would love to have him on the show again, especially when we do the Elm Street series. So yeah. we are trying to stay sane, basically, any way we can right now. Any way. Uh, and I definitely like... Like Jerry, you have a lot of kids. Ada, I had Claire, and I have the one. We have Ada, and I think like we had kids who were a little bit older, and we definitely looked at it one another. Like one is good. Like yeah, one is good. Yeah. Um, you you know, know, I wish I would have said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, if you had to get rid of anyone, else, Jerry, which one? Let's not do that right now. Oh, dude, I, I you know what? I'm I'm stir crazy enough that I would answer those questions. <laughs> like, I have an answer. Oh, <laughs> listeners, submit that over at Pod and Pendulum. Submit that right now, and we will answer that. Um, but I definitely. <laughs> I we definitely I've seen like an uptick of like the childless people I follow go all oh, you parents aren't so smug right now about having to be locked in with your kids you know you're like yeah you're right you're absolutely right so no, it's um, funny because I'll find myself like I'm not serious but I'll find myself saying like really weird shit mm-hmm. that like I'm like again I'm not serious about it but like my wife and I will laugh like I'll just be like oh god. I just, uh, you know, so-and-so kid, uh, just remove yourself from my site. Just, yes. like, I just don't want to see you for a year. Right. And they'll be like, wait, what? Like, no, no, I'm, I'm joking. But well, the other, really? the other day, Ada approached my wife and says, like, Mom, I want a threesome. And our daughter is nine. And we're like, <laughs> my wife is like, what? She's like, what? And I think Ada, like, realized she didn't quite know what she meant. She goes, uh, she's like, I want my friends, like, Liana and Gwen to come over when this is all done. We're like, oh, okay, well, that's something completely different at that point. Like, so we're definitely getting to the kids say the darndest things stage at this point. I would never forget, like, when my daughter was really young, like, four years old, we were driving to visit my mom, just her and I, and she did something really cute in the car. And I said, like, Ada, you know, mom and I love you more than anything else in the whole world. We're so we're so happy to have you as our kid. And without even a, a moment's hesitation, she's like, well, you know, one day you and mom are going to get old and die, and then you'll be gone, and you'll just make way for more people in the world. And I'm Whoa. like, whoa, it's fucking dark, kid. That's that is dark shit. Brilliant so. green stuff. So speaking of dark, what are we here to <laughs> what are we here to talk about tonight? Well, you know, for having such a big uh, politically based opening, twenty eight minutes of this episode, mm-hmm. we're here to talk Crater's Attack, yes. <laughs> which is uh, a film that is definitely not any of those things. Uh, it is the most recent and the fifth film in the Crater's franchise, and the last episode of our Crater series. It's a movie that. It's a movie. It's a movie. (laughs) It tries so hard to uh, capture what was great about the original series, Mm -hmm. but it just doesn't do a a bang-up job of doing so, which is weird because, I mean, we'll talk about this more throughout the episode. The people that made this movie all around are really good Mm -hmm. filmmakers. I mean, this movie is edited by Mike Mendez, which is one of my favorite horror directors. I, I just I love Mike Mendes so much. He is uh, one of the co-creators of the Tales of Halloween 
um, yeah. anthology movie. And I know he had the giant spider movie, and I can't think of which one Big it is spider. right there. Big ass spider, yeah. Uh, that, uh, the grave dancers, uh, yep. the convent. I mean, such a fun, fun, wacky director. Uh, his he gets movies B are so- movies. He gets B movies. Oh, he really does. And uh, yeah, it was edited by Mike Mendez. Uh, it has a an, an really great score by Russ Howard III, who did the mm-hmm. music for Tragedy Girls and Hobo with the Shotgun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written by uh, Scott Lobdell, uh, who wrote one of my favorite, favorite horror-ish films of the last few years, Happy Death Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he created Generation X for Marvel. He's written for Angel, Buffy, X-Men, Red Hood comics. I mean, such a good comic book writer. Right. I mean, like, it, it's weird. This movie's kind of weird because it has a very good crew as far as the people that handle mm-hmm. it. I feel like where this movie goes wrong, and again, we'll get into this more uh, as it goes on, but where this movie goes wrong is the lack of budget is it shows very much and where critters three and four had that lack of budget too, but it made up for it in ingenuity and passion and so many other things. And this movie just, it it just kind of falls flat. Right. No, you're absolutely right. What it does get right. I, I do believe is it has some of the best critters action of any of the series. I think it goes back to part one and part two where the critters are there. This is the and it's interesting. It's the only R-rated entry in the whole Critters franchise. Series, franchise, so you get like a really good Critter action. Like this is a super gory movie at times. There's that one moment early on where you have like the baby Critters like pop out of a guy's stomach and go flying. Yeah. And they, what they look like to me, I don't know if you remember Mad Balls growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they like that whole there was that time when like the garbage pail kids were a thing, and then like there was bad balls, and it was like those really ugly, um, hard plastic balls that kind of looked not like necessarily horror movie creatures, but they look like these really grotesque little things. That's what they look like when they come flying out of a dude's like flapping stomach. Like there's some great gore and blood in this movie overall, but it's kind of hampered by a storyline that just doesn't really kind of connect at all. No, totally. And there's there's some sequences in the movie that I, I think are great. Uh, a couple in particular. There's one where this ranger, they call him Ranger Bob, he's taking a shower and he hears something and he doesn't mm-hmm. know what it is. And he grabs what he thinks is a loofah, which mm-hmm. would be the biggest loofah of all time. Right. I mean, it's a pillow-sized loofah. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge. And he starts rubbing it on his body and then he opens his eyes and it's a huge crite that starts biting him. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like that, or there's there's an ongoing joke throughout the movie. There's a security guard named Sean, and he's so he's obsessed with the 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 lead uh, protagonist uh, character. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's obsessed with her, and he makes her these mixtapes. And the the hundred percent of what's on the mixtape is his really bad bagpipe playing. And it's just like he's so locked into just like thinking that he's so good at it that he's so proud to give her these mixtapes. And it's just like, you know, I wrote all these pieces myself and it's so hard not to laugh. And his death scene in the movie later on, like it's probably my favorite part of the whole movie because like Drea and all the the kids she's babysitting, they're trying to run from the Christ. They're trying to find like sanctuary or somewhere to go. And they hear the bagpipe playing. So she instantly like, Sean, she runs up. 
edits his dead body with a cripe pulling his back. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's moments in this movie that I just, I love, and I think it's mm-hmm. funny. But something I, I kind of felt early on, and it runs through it, is that what Critters Attacks tries to do, it tries to give its viewers an Amblin movie. But it, mm-hmm. what it does is ultimately gives them what feels like a cross between a Critters fan film and uh, a film that's more in line with an episode of Goosebumps than uh, Critters. I think so. I think it, it tries to have a – and I found this happens a lot with these small movies now. They try to combine like some heartwarming little thing to get you to uh, root for the lead character at this point. And in the case here – you have the character of Dre who didn't get into the college of her choice. And it's the college that her mother went to and she's been waitlisted and then rejected a couple times um, to go to it. And she ends up taking a job babysitting for one of the professors so that she thinks that'll increase her chances of, of getting in. And you're supposed to feel bad for her throughout but there's not a lot of connective tissue there. Like the group of her, her brother, and the two kids that she's watching after, they don't ever really click in any sort of meaningful way whatsoever. Um, and you just don't really care. Like whenever like it's just the four of them on screen, all I really wanted was for the action to go back to the critters, where I didn't mind like in the first movie – following around like the, the the townspeople in critters one and critters two were super interesting and weird and goofy and funny and i really enjoyed spending time watching them mm-hmm. but i didn't really get that same thing in this movie where like every time it was like dre and that little crew it's like just go back to the crit whatever the critters are doing no, totally totally and the story that uh, should work in this one just doesn't i mean it's mm-hmm. a brother and sister uh they live with their kind of like drunk uncle slash sheriff lewis mm-hmm. uh you know he means well but he's just like really bad at being mm-hmm. considerate and supportive he's kind of like the voice of reason that kids don't want to hear or don't need mm-hmm. to hear sometimes you know he's he doesn't help he doesn't like embrace their dreams or what they're into he kind of makes fun mm-hmm. of them for it uh he also looks like david fincher who's a great filmmaker but a raging asshole mm-hmm. so that's hard uh, but the thing is, like, that setup should work, but it doesn't because the characters, like you said, you just don't feel for them. I mean, Drea, she works for a sushi delivery service to save up for college. She didn't get into the college she wants. She goes, she delivers sushi to the college she wants and sees an old friend of hers. And the only reason they're not friends is because the friend got into the college and Drea is upset about it. Uh-huh. The girl kind of, the the friend tries to help her. And say, you know, here's an opportunity. The professor that would help you get into the school, you know, she needs someone to help her with the job. And when Dre finds out that it's babysitting the professor's kid, she kind of scoffs at it like she's better than that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she kind of treats she kind of treats a lot of people in the movie like shit. So right. to have like a protagonist, you know, that's kind of like unlikable from the beginning, it's hard to latch onto it. Whereas, right. you know, what's interesting is, like I said, Scott Lobdell, the the writer, he wrote Happy Death Day. And he kind of approached that kind of same protagonist in that movie a lot better, whereas the character of Tree in Happy Death Day, she starts off as a pretty despicable character. Right. But the writing and the performances are so good that by the end of that – by the middle of Happy Death Day, 
you know, you see like humanity in that character. You see growth in that character. There's an mm-hmm. art of, of being a better person because you realize that. And we just never get it with the character of Dre. And I feel like the film, it has a lot of missed opportunities with that. Right. And I think a lot of that, too, goes down to like who is performing these roles overall. Like you have uh, Jessica Roth in Happy Death Day, who's just a charisma machine. Like she is so much fun to watch in that movie even when she's being like a like a bitchy mean girl in the movie you're captivated by her and part of yeah. it is like you want to see her get her comeuppance because of the way that she's acting but she's able to give off like the sense of vulnerability and this like she's able to play for humor um to the point where you start to shift how you feel about her as an audience member because the performance is so good and you know, I, I don't want to be super negative, but your uh, character playing Dre here, uh, Tashiana Washington, um, I know this is an early role for her. It's just not there. It's just kind of like, and there's some goofy things too, like the way she plays certain things, like she goes really big in some moments. Like, I think, I'm trying to think who the character is. It's kind of like the hunky blonde kind of frat dude. I think oh, his name is yeah. Gregory. Greg or Gregory like you can tell like she's like super into him within like five seconds of meeting and she's like playing with these like giant eyes and like the way she stands and like the way she like talks is just really like really over the top when she's ever like delivering lines around him and it's just like I I definitely want to talk more about Gregory later on because I thought that character was a hoot (laughs) later on so I, I think what made the early Critters films work is they were really silly situations, but everyone kind of played them straight, mm-hmm. you know? So it kind of felt like normal people, relatable people that were going through something extraordinary. Whereas this movie, uh, a lot of the performances are really over the top too. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to kind of latch on to that right. relatability. And like speaking on like character arcs, I mean, like you were saying with uh, Jessica Roth in Happy Death Day, uh, that movie specifically reminded me of the opposite of Breaking Bad in a good way. In Breaking Bad, Walt starts off as a protagonist and ends up as an antagonist by the end mm-hmm. of the show. Starts off as a good person, ends up a bad person. So you want to see that journey. In Happy Death Day, it was the opposite. You know, Jessica Roth, she wasn't an antagonist, but she was kind of a really shitty character at the beginning. And mm-hmm. you kind of go through this journey of becoming a better person. And I think if we saw that in Critters Attack... It would be easier to kind of look over the small mm-hmm. little things. And the I think the kind of over-the-top stuff, it even goes like some of, I think, the dialogue. I mean, it tries so hard to inject stuff that's like relevant to right now. I mean, one of the kids is like super obsessed with uh, YouTube channels. And, you know, uh, Drea I, is talking to like her brother and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm listening to a podcast. And it's just like... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's it's funny, but I don't think it's kind of meant to be. You know, right? Right. No, it's it's definitely it's definitely weird. And you were talking about like the uncle uh, who's raising them in the movie. Like they give him an alcohol problem for really no reason whatsoever. Like it doesn't really play into anything that ever goes on in the movie at all. Like, and he's not. You know, you think like usually if you give like a, like that character, he's like the alcoholic. Well, then he's like rude or somehow abusive to the kids, you know, and it's going to get his comeuppance. But he actually does, even though he like and let's face it, like if your 14 year old nephew came up to you and was like, I just saw a UFO outside, you'd probably blow him off. Right. 
like, well, yeah, dude, okay. come on. To be fair, uh, I don't think my 14-year-old nephew would come up to me to talk about aliens, because sure. I would probably... I would probably come up to my 14-year-old nephew mm-hmm. to tell him about aliens. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like like normal, like think people, mm-hmm. uh, probably. No, I, I, I agree 100%. Right. Uh, it's you know, just, yeah, go ahead. He, and he doesn't like, the, you're introduced to him by like him asking his niece to like turn down her music when he comes home from work. And you're like, that's not an unreasonable thing to ask. Yeah. And even when... You know, she like storms off. He's like, "Look, I know you're disappointed. You get, you didn't get into the college you wanted, but you know what? You're really smart. You work really hard. You can go anywhere you want." Like he's always encouraging her, and you think he's going to play like some sort of bigger role than he is, but he just kind of like ends up getting killed midway through the movie. Um, the whole idea of like Dre going to school, you know, like nothing is ever like that's a huge part of her character. And nothing is ever resolved in it. Like the movie just kind of ends um, yeah. with like the like D. We'll talk about D. Wallace in a moment. Like, but like um, D. Wallace, and then uh, Dre, and then the boy character who um, that's played by Jaden Noel, Philip. Like they blow up the critters. The movie it's just like this big thing of like goo everywhere. And then you have a shot of them, he says something, and then it cuts right to credits. And you're like, that was weird. Like, that was a pretty sudden and abrupt ending. Um, you know, a lot of things just kind of dangle in this movie. There's there's also kind of uh, a couple things that, that – it doesn't irk me because, I mean, I do think it's kind of a fun throwaway movie, you know? Like, I'm not, like, horribly offended by this movie or anything. But I th- think Critters Attack kind of comes full circle in the series. Uh, kind of in, in the sense that the original Critters was accused of cashing in on Gremlins. And this movie wants so hard to be Gremlins. Like, mm-hmm. we get we get, we get get a good Krite that doesn't look like the other ones that's actually really sweet and a good person. You know, they name it Bianca. It's it's kind of like the uh, Walmart version of, of Gizmo. Mm-hmm. You know? There's there's that. Uh, yeah. You know, there's... There, I think that... They try to capture what was great about the first couple movies, mm-hmm. but they don't understand what it is. I mean, Charlie's absence in this movie is is very noticeable. Right. You know, like Charlie was always, like we said in the other episode, Charlie was the heart and soul of the of the series. So, so to have him kind of not be in this one, it kind of like pulls out that charm. And you know, just jumping into the D. Wallace thing, uh, the only returning character we get is D. Wallace. She returns as Helen from the first movie, but there were legal issues to where they had to rename her character Aunt D. So now yeah. she's now she's kind of like this pseudo Ripley badass character with like crazy futuristic guns that hunts Kreitz, but there's no mention of her character. Like there's no mm-hmm. mention of what happened. There's no mention of the first movie. It's just D Wallace is back as a character mm-hmm. with a different name, you know? And it's just, it's kind of jaunting a little bit to see. Right. And it's, yeah, she, she, at one point, like when they introduce her, she, uh, when she's finally introduced to the kids, it's like, Oh, I'm a bounty hunter. And there's nothing else. Like 
at least in like Critters 3, you had like these little flashbacks and Charlie explained like, here's what happened. Um, and you could have easily had like 30 seconds of dialogue. Like I've seen them before. This is what they are. They did this. And so you would have that connective tissue. And the fact that she's called Aunt D, it kind of to me, like what is the Bruce Campbell movie where Bruce Campbell plays himself and the town uh, is like overrun by. Yeah. Wasn't it like, uh, my name is Bruce? Yes, thank you. Yeah. So, you know, you could have easily gone that route where, like, Dee Wallace, who has been such a fixture in so many movies that, you know, we love growing up, and even now she continues to work with, like, directors like Rob Zombie so often. Like, um, she has a kid's show on Amazon called Just Add Magic, where she was one of the main characters. Like, like Dee Wallace is a treasure, so I'm never going to say anything she is her, also. But, oh, mm-hmm. totally. Uh, she also, also like, looks like my mom. I mean, she looks she, just like my mom. Well, give your mom a high five when you can, because mm-hmm. that is awesome. Uh, D. Wallace is also like the first, I, you know, quote unquote, big interview I ever did when I started writing mm-hmm. about horror, and I was so nervous, so so nervous to talk. You know, it's D. Wallace, you know, and she was the sweetest, most down to earth, mm-hmm. like person ever. Like she kept, you know, it was was like a motherly thing. She kept calling me baby the whole interview. And I was just, I just wanted her to put me in her pocket, you know? So it's great to see her in this. And it's great to see such a kind of like renaissance and resurgence of Dee Wallace in the last few years. Yeah. But the problem is, I mean, it's, it's like we're saying, like there's no mention of anything before. And for anyone who's a big fan of this series, because you know what I mean? Like I, I I picture Nat Bremmer being excited about this movie because he's such a huge fan. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, you know, seeing D. Wallace back mm-hmm. and being like, oh, it's Helen. But wait, it's not Helen. It's right. D. And she's a bounty hunter with no explanation. And, you know, she she's mm-hmm. at the beginning, maybe a scene in the middle and a scene at the end. It, right. it, it's just it, it's almost like a skeleton. This movie, to me, yeah. it feels very much like a skeleton with no meat on it. Right. It feels like they did all of her. She gave them like one day. Like, I'll come in, I'll do, like, one day, and they just kind of, like, put her in there to have that callback to the first movie, but they never had any sort of real way to connect that tissue. You know what it's a little bit like? Um, So, late last year, like, obviously, um, Rise of the Skywalkers became, like, one of the more controversial movies, and the people that hate that movie really hate that movie, to the point where there's, like, one writer whose work I normally admire... He has written so many think pieces that are filled with such vitriol for the movie that I like legit worry about like what sort of mental condition is this person? And I don't say that jokingly. I'm like, dude, it's not good to hate something this much. Um, yeah. like you can let it go. Like you don't need to write a dozen pieces about it. But I think one of the legit criticisms of it is a lot of the things that the movie implies you find out in other media, like, oh, yeah, if you get this companion book or this comic or the book that tells about the artwork of the movie, uh, it confirms certain things about certain characters rather than actually have it in the movie. And I think that's kind of like what, what they do with, like, the D. Wallace character here. They're like, oh, yeah, it's Aunt D. She's uh, Helen from the first movie. Um and you know that only because, like, you've maybe, like, read an interview or done, like, a Wikipedia or something on it. But there's nothing in the movie itself that would suggest that it's the same character. And I think if you did, like, a 
my name is Bruce type of thing with it, where like D. Wallace plays herself. And she's like, you know what? I've done so many of these movies now. Like, I know how to actually go after and hunt these real things. Um, that could be a really fun meta way to approach the material. That and, like, you know, it sucks because you know that she loves doing these movies. Mm-hmm. You know, during that interview I did with her, a few, like, years ago, like, it was before Lords of Salem had come out. Nobody had seen it, you know, and... And during the interview, she was like, have you seen it? Have you seen it? And I was like, no, I'm dying too. And she went on this, like, long rant about how much I'll love it and how much mm-hmm. fun she had making it. And she was just – she had such passion in her voice talking about just making movies in general. So, mm-hmm. like, for D. Wallace to come back to a series that is kind of beloved to fans and to not get really anything to work with, like, it almost feels kind of like a disservice to her as an actor, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. One of my but, favorite I mean, little favorite little D. Wallace roles. It's a very small role, but um, in House of the Ty West's House of the Devil, yeah. she plays like the landlady that rents um, uh, Jocelyn Donahue the apartment that she needs. Yeah. And she's like, you know what? I wanted more money for it, but you seem super nice, and I'm going to trust you. Um, and we're going to cut you a break on it right now. It's a really little role, but I, you know, like you were saying about. You know, when you interviewed her, how kind she was. Like, she's always so good at portraying this kind of warmth uh, to her overall. Like, this is a D. Wallace appreciation pod right now. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's probably why she's so good at playing characters like the ones she did in, like, E.T. or, you know, other motherly characters. It's because I feel like she is that. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, like I believe her as a mm-hmm. mom in Cujo. I believe yeah. her as a mother in E.T., you know, because in a lot of ways, I mean, this will turn into a D. Wallace Appreciation mm-hmm. podcast, because in a lot of ways, wh- why I love D. Wallace so much in so many movies is her characters are always like the mother that I wish I had growing up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like like ones that seem like actually interested in what you feel and yeah. what you're going through. So to have her in this movie, I, I mean, I hate to use the same phrase over and over, but it does feel like a disservice because she's mm-hmm. so talented and I feel like this could have been set up to be a really good return to form for that character. Yeah. Of course, now that we've said all these really positive things about D. Wallace, like <laughs> within two weeks, what's going to happen is like news is going to break. Like D. Wallace has run a decades long sex trafficking ring, you know, <laughs> and it's going to be some really horrible oh, shit. Lord. It's going to be like, you know, what? that, that is that mm-hmm. is my 2020. That is yeah, my right 20. Because yeah. I have hyped I have hyped the hell out of certain things that ended mm-hmm. up blowing up. And it's just like, well, we need to shut up. Yeah. Never mind. Um, but there are, you were, there are good things. You know? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You were saying before about how, you know, the character of Bianca was kind of like the Walmart equivalent of, of Gizmo. Kind of. I was thinking, like, you have the Transformers and you have GoBots. And yeah. Bianca is definitely like the GoBots version of of Gizmo. Well, it's like it's like Power Rangers and VR Troopers. Yeah. And uh, you know, Aaron Pruner, if you're listening to this, uh, I apologize. You know, because <laughs> Aaron yeah. Pruner, the 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 great writer, he's funny, really funny sense of humor. Uh, he was he was Percy on VR Troopers. Mm-hmm. So just yeah, but you know, I agree. You know, it is it's the GoBots version. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there are things about this movie that I like. Like I there said. really are. Yeah. 
the, some of the sequences are really funny. Uh, the gore is really interesting mm-hmm. when it's there. Uh, some of the the deaths are a little wonky. I mean, mm-hmm. there's the one where like there's there's three Christ just like standing right next to each other, and they blow them up, and they're just like very noticeably just like pinned to the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But there's and it kind of adds to the charm of it, you know. Yeah. But I mean, and like I mentioned earlier, the score by Russ Howard the third. I mean, I love that music in this movie. Mm-hmm. And like his score for Hobo with the Shotgun is one of my favorite scores around. Okay. So so good, and the music he did for Tragedy Girls is really good. So mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, the the crew involved in this movie, they're good. They're not just like you know call in favors mm-hmm. kind of like you know. This guy's not a not a writer, but let's put a title on him because he wrote a bad script. You know, like the writing. I think the writing's decent. Uh, the music's great. You know, I, I just feel like maybe something was lost in translation. Right. You know? It felt like they had about forty minutes of gags for the critters themselves, and that's where the uh, emphasis was. Because I think the critter gags themselves are great. Like. You know, I like the scene where, like, the two rangers are sitting there like, well, what's going on right now? And then, like, the female ranger gets up, and then a critter comes, like, flying out of nowhere and attaches itself to her face at that point um, yeah. and just messes them up completely. Like, those are, like, definitely fun little gags. And, like, this is, you know, when we talked about Critters 4, my biggest complaint about the movie was it took an hour to get any like an hour in the movie there's like the critters were on screen for like all of three minutes at that point and you don't really have that here and by and large it looks like they stick to mostly practical effects here um there was only like one scene i think where they had like the giant critter ball rolling and it was like a close-up of it that it looked like really bad cgi to me but by and large you have still have like these puppet creatures these tangible puppets um and it, they each had, like, their own personality overall. Like, it was a lot of fun. Um, and it was also a little bit timely, too, because here we are all, you know, sheltered in place right now because of the way this, you know, goddamn virus can spread and multiply so quickly. And you have these critters that are, like, multiplying like crazy. Like, you start with, like, one or two critters. And then the next thing you know, there's, like, hundreds of them. There's, like, baby critters everywhere. And I thought that was kind of fun. Also, uh, speaking on sieges and uh, kind of, you know, fighting to stay in somewhere while something's trying to break in really quickly, and this is off subject, I guess. Uh, but I saw VFW this week. Oh, it's really good, isn't Holy it? Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. I loved that movie more than I've loved any movie in the last few mm-hmm. months. Like, talk about a movie that it, it felt... Uh, I tweeted this. Uh, I, I felt like... That movie was the kind of movie I would stay, I would sneak up and watch on HBO when I wasn't supposed sure. to. Sure. And it's like, you know, it's the perfect siege movie. It's punk rock mm-hmm. as fuck. Uh, I mean, Josh Ethier is one of the scariest dudes around in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I cannot recommend VFW enough. Like, it is wild. And, dude, if any of you don't like it, like, I will punch you in the leg. Like, that is just... so much fun. 
love how like each movie uh joe Bedges comes up with different ways to like fuck with graham skipper and like see him killed off in hilarious ways like every movie like graham skipper just bites it in hilarious hilarious ways um, he's, got, um, he's become the new sean bean in a lot of ways pretty much yeah pretty much he just won't you know he's not making it to the end credits whenever you see him did, uh, on screen did you see uh the devil's dolls I have not seen that. Uh, Drake Reynolds directed it. As Graham mm-hmm. Skipper gets like a big ass drill right in his face at the beginning, it's the best. And Graham, oh, Graham, Graham's a friend. Graham's such a great guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's so nice, such a nice, like sweetheart mm-hmm. of a human in real life. That it's so funny to see him just get mutilated and murdered, mm-hmm. like in so many movies. Wow. Like, oh god, it's great. So the cast for VFW alone, like Stephen Lang is like, I think Stephen Lang is the bar owner, uh, William Sadler, Fred Williamson, George Wendt, um, you know, Norm from Cheers has, you know, back to back was really funny because he's also part of Bliss, um, which Bedges did like back to back with one another. Um and he's just so so good. So for folks that don't know, like VFW is basically about a group of veterans um, that spend their days like drinking in an old VFW hall, and they come under siege by you know this like super violent group of drug dealers, and they absolutely refuse to like seed their turf overall, and it just it, it just erupts into like crazy nuts. chaos and violence. Um, <laughs> It you know, is like, yeah. Who? Okay. In your opinion, really quick, I guess this is turning to a VFW episode. Yeah. But in your opinion, who is the standout performance? What is the standout performance in VFW for you? I been. I started at tell your I also I was actually got to do a Q and A with Bejos and Ethier uh-huh. uh, when they were both like very hungover uh, or very gracious. Um, that's every festival. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, you know, I really thought the kid who played like the soldier that had returned home. Yeah, uh, I'm looking it up right now. So Tom Williamson, like for like kind of your younger actors, I thought he really stood out as like a super strong performer. Um, William Sadler, though, like his turn and that Sadler's pretty much great in everything he does. So that's really no surprise. But I thought he really stood out. I really thought that whole group of vets was yeah. just like totally fucking awesome. Oh, and I guess like so not cool. not knowing George went from really anything aside from like Cheers and the Burbs, where he does like straight up comedy, to see him in a more dramatic action turn was like kind of eye opening as well. Oh, totally. For me, it was David Patrick Kelly. Mm-hmm. Who played, uh, you know luther and the warriors uh mm-hmm. you know he's in the crow commando all this like his performance made me laugh so much because something happens and he's kind of like suffering throughout the whole movie and mm-hmm. like you don't know if he's gonna die or not but he thinks he is right from the beginning that it's just like mm-hmm. i'm dead and the whole yeah, movie he finds himself he finds himself defending his like mm-hmm. uh his smoking pot like anytime yeah. oh yeah even, <laughs> even in the middle of like this absolute carnage, she's like, "Fuck you! It's medicinal." Like, yeah. oh, that's what surprised me about that movie. It's so funny in the midst of like mm-hmm. so much chaos. Well, Martin Cove too, who oh, probably is yes. best known 
best known for his turn in the Karate Kid is the um, owner of the Cobra Kai dojo telling, you know, Johnny to sweep the leg. Uh, John Kreese in the Karate Kid. Um, you know, he oh, plays, you know, when you are introduced to him, like he's the one member of that veterans crew that still kind of has his life together. Like I believe he owns a car dealership and, you know, he's the only one that's not super fucked up. Um, and he has like, he has this bravado and unearned confidence that gets him killed. You see it coming from a mile away and yeah. it makes it all the more tragic when it happens because he doesn't realize how far gotten in over his head when he's trying to negotiate when he's trying to deal with these this this crew um he doesn't see how far he's gotten in over his head until like there's no coming back from it and it goes from being kind of like comical to kind of like sad oh totally and the comical part like he's talking to these drug dealer mutant punk guys you know leather leather jackets studs you know all this stuff and he's just like well you don't know me? You haven't seen my commercials? <laughs> but he's serious. And yeah. like that's what's funny. The movie's played straight, but it's so funny. And Richard fucking Roundtree mm-hmm. is so good in this movie, too. Like, I, I know you guys are, are, you know, listening to this Critters Attack, but I cannot urge you enough to go watch VFW. It's on yeah. VOD. Uh, it's actually coming out on Blu-ray on Tuesday. So mm-hmm. uh, right around the time this episode drops. Go out and get it. It is it is a blast. It's worth it. It's definitely if you need if you need ninety minutes of like just absolute like blood soaked practical effects. Just like it's like ba- <sighs> the best description I can give to the effects is go out and get like a cheap plastic bag that can hold like fifty to a hundred pounds of of just like shredded meat, and then like run that bag through um like a grinder and let it fly everywhere and that's pretty much what you're getting for like 90 minutes in this movie like it's fucking awesome it's really fun so i've done so little horror since this thing has like started um like i am on like i am on like a rewatch of the office right now because i find that like very soothing as a show um but i think tonight's family yeah Tonight's family movie night is going to be like Happy Death Day. And I think I'm going to rent VFW after wow. that. I definitely need a day to just go in the basement and watch the four Alien movies too. Dude, right? No, they're yeah. great. Uh, is that, are, okay, question real quick. Mm-hmm. Are we just covering those or are we covering, uh, you know, Prometheus, Alien Covenant, and those two? I, I would say we cover the four movies – Prometheus and Covenant. Covenant. Okay, cool. And then we leave Aliens versus Predator to when we do the Predator series. Yeah, okay, that's that's good. Uh, yeah. Quickly though, like talking about movies, mm-hmm. uh, have you seen 1917 yet? I, oh man, I, I, I cannot recommend that. It is, mm-hmm. it is. See, I'm not I'm not typically like a war movie kind of person. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think mostly because uh, my dad had, like, seven brothers, and every mm-hmm. single one of them went to, like, Vietnam and everything else. So, I mean, I grew up listening to, like, horror stories. The door mm-hmm. is just kind of, like, you know, like, I appreciate history so much, but it's just, like, the war movies, they don't do it for me. But 1917 mm-hmm. is a movie that I think I saw three times in the theater. Like, it is so good. Really? So, oh, and, like, the whole, the whole like, 
everyone accused it of just being a gimmick because it's filmed and edited to look like it where it's basically one long take. Mm-hmm. Like the, the whole movie feels like one take, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like it, it, it so doesn't it's like the away. World War One equivalent of Birdman. Yeah, no, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And it is so intense. And it's it, like, you know, I love Schindler's List. I, you know, I like the, the war movies that I do enjoy. But that being said, I do feel like 1917 is my personal favorite uh, mm-hmm. war movie of all time. So I, you know, it wasn't really on my radar as a movie that I would see. And then someone did like it was in the lead up to the Oscar season where someone did a little behind the scenes video of it and it's the scene of the soldier like running through all the carnage yeah and they showed how that was done and basically how many moving parts had to be in place for it to actually get that shot correct and i'm like all right this is definitely something i need to see sooner than later but i just for whatever reason never was able to get out to the theater for it so that that scene in particular without giving spoilers away is one of the most crucial scenes in the Mm -hmm. entire movie you see that scene put together in the actual movie, like your heartstrings, man. It is such a fucking good mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, so. I'll definitely have to give that a look. I'm trying to think of what we. Oh, we recently did. Um, I introduced my daughter on Friday night. I introduced her to uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. <laughs> so All good. right. Which was it was such a class, and I have that's one of those movies that I have not watched a million times, so it's not really ruined for me. Uh, and I number one, like the controversial opinion I came away with that is like Beverly D'Angelo. Um, I would take her over Christy Brinkley okay. in that movie. Like Beverly D'Angelo was just stunning. I saw in that movie. I saw that tweet. I saw that tweet that you did on that with that opinion. Mm-hmm. And dude, I have your back two hundred percent on that. She yes. is just va va voom. I mean, she's just yes. incredible yes. in that movie. But also, like everyone, when you think of the vacation series, like most people go to Christmas vacation, um, and they think of like Chevy Chase's like rant at the end of that movie when he finds out he's getting the jelly of the month club. Um, but I got to tell you, man. Actually, you know what? We didn't watch this movie Friday. It was Wednesday because we <laughs> because the next day. <laughs> Yeah, there's seriously, like, I have no idea. It's Sunday today. All right, so Jesus is crazy. Um, like, the, the rant he goes on in the car when everyone, they're, like, 10 minutes from Wally World, and everyone's like, let's just go home. Like, this sucks. Like, I think we've all been there on those, like, long road trips with your family where you're like, I don't care where we're going. It's not worth it at this point. It's going to suck. And he just loses his mind, and he's like, you know, he's like, we're gonna be, we're gonna be so fucking happy. We're gonna be singing zippity doo dah out of our fucking assholes. Like <laughs> the next day, like we were looking for this place to go hiking, um, and we lived near all these really nice trails. But I wanted to go somewhere new, like, so you know, we got the directions, we couldn't quite find it, and we're like, do we just turn around? And I just like blurted out, like, we're gonna be singing zippity, you know, I just couldn't help it, like. That movie's a riot. That's the best rant. His best rant in any of the vacation movies. Well, also, I mean, no, totally. Uh, and you know, you you mentioned that most people gravitate towards Christmas, uh, the Christmas one. But mm-hmm. honestly, uh, just 
Vacation and the European one were oh, always so two. Good. Growing up, growing up, those were always like the, my two favorites. Well, uh, Europe- Vegas and Christmas. It really mm-hmm. wasn't my. Thing. I mean, European Vacation was literally on HBO or Showtime every single day growing mm-hmm. up. Like, you could not avoid that movie if you tried. And that was probably the first R-rated movie I ever saw. Um, and I must have seen it, like, literally a thousand times growing up as a kid. Because it was just one of those things where you couldn't you couldn't avoid the movie because it was on so much. So it just become became ingrained in your brain. Oh, totally. And it's a lot of, you know, uh, people usually say things like you know well blazing saddles couldn't be made today and you know rightfully so this this Mm -hmm. stuff but i i feel like those movies are kind of a lost uh art form as Mm -hmm. well you know like you know uh in in 2020 everyone tries to see everything through somewhat of a problematic lens and Mm -hmm. i understand that and I, i agree to an extent like i i revisited the burning for an article i wrote uh for a magazine this last year mm-hmm. it's just like it was tough watching that for me uh mm-hmm. i mean it's so misogynistic but i mean right. a lot of those like like vacation and that kind of stuff like they're kind of like innocent in how much of like how like buffoon like that clark is you right. know like it it's not mean spirited i i don't think it's it's misogynistic in a way that like is trying to make it sound like it's okay to be that way. It's just mm-hmm. a fun time. It's like watching The Jerk, you know, like The yeah. Jerk or like Naked Gun or movies like that. Mm-hmm. Like they're not they're not purposely like they're not mean spirited. No. They're not trying to make fun of people. They're trying right. to bring everyone in on the joke. Right, and I think that's a, when you're making fun of your protagonist or being that much of a goof. That's that's what's different. Like the beginning of The Jerk, where he's like. I was raised a poor black child, and it's Steve Martin. Like, the reasons that's funny is because it's Steve Martin saying it. You just realize how, like, dumb he's being in that moment. Like, that's why that's that's funny overall. Um, although the funniest thing in that movie will always be, like, somebody hates these cans to me. It's always going to be <laughs> one of my all-time uh, favorite <laughs> lines and favorite delivery in any movie. Yeah, yeah I love it. That's one of my favorite comedies around. So we should probably wrap up on um, the Critters series now that we've had like a long diversion, I guess, with Critters. Um, so I think we've pretty much, there's just not a lot to talk about Critters attacks. I would give it like, eh, you know, two stars. It's okay. It is what it is. Um, you know, not the worst thing in the world. It had uh, some fun bits to it overall, but it's just not something that I'm ever going to be super bananas over um i guess like the interesting thing with it was it made it made its premiere at the fantasia film festival up in montreal which is probably my the my favorite festival i when i've been able to go there i've really enjoyed it um and then i think it premiered on the sci-fi network after that yeah so it's interesting that on a basic cable station how much you can get away with now and i think like the walking dead really kicked down some doors for that like what you're able to get away with on cable television now because it's you know it's a hard r i would say in terms of what it is for a movie but you know it has like tv movie of the week feel i think all over it in terms of the design of it the production values of it overall and it just feels a bit rushed well i think amc i think 
uh, really quickly, I think AMC in general opened the mm-hmm. doors for a lot of stuff. I mean, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, Mad Men. Mm-hmm. You know, they all push the envelope in the respective genres. Yep. But I mean, like like you said, uh, it does. Critters Attack does feel rushed. Uh, it it feels like maybe they wanted to get something out quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, just last year we got not only Critters Attack, but we also got a brand new uh, TV show, Critters: mm-hmm. The New Binge, on Shutter. You know, so, and I I did not watch that show in preparation oh, for this. So tell me a little bit about that. You know, honestly, I, I'm so into trying to be positive, but as mm-hmm. a longtime fan, I think that show kind of felt more of a slap to the face more than even Critters 4 did. Oh, yeah. Like, it just—it was just—it uh, just missed its mark completely. No returning mm-hmm. characters, no connective tissue. That uh, There's a smart critter—there's a smart crite with a suit on that talks— mm-hmm. Like there's a part where he's like, "You're too late." Like, you know, you oh, know what I mean? Like, no, it's 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 ah, that's the thing. The the new binge, the TV show came out first, and so that kind of left a bad taste in a lot of fans' mouths. Mm-hmm. And then Critters Attack came out, and which Critters Attack isn't that great either, but it's definitely a step up over the TV show. So you know, mm-hmm. I'll take it. Okay. So, any final thoughts on the Critter series? I love the series so much. Uh, I think maybe that's why I'm so passionately against some of it, is that, uh, you know, uh, when Blink-182 came out with that awful Neighborhoods album, you know, I I remember saying, like, this is bad. And someone's like, well, you're not a fan if you don't like everything. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, I think a real fan of something can step back and say, this is something I love. This doesn't work. And I, I feel like when Critters, the series, when it gets it right with, like, the first, the second, the third, and parts of Attack, uh, I, I think it excels. I, I think it's such a fun series. It's such a uh, a magical series at times. The first couple movies, it's mm-hmm. it's it's able to transport me personally back into a time of not innocence because I'm not trying to sound cheesy, but like a time of just being youthful and naive and loving these movies. You know, like I I can still watch the first two critters and feel like a kid again, and that's yeah. such a rare thing to do and to have in a series. And and I love them. I really do. Mm-hmm. They're great. Yeah, and for me, like these were first time watches for me, so I'm watching it from the um, from the you know from the perspective of a middle aged dude. So I didn't have like these warm fuzzy memories, even though the first couple movies would have been like right in my wheelhouse. Um, and you know, the first two movies in particular, like they're a lot of fun. They're really well made. I think that you can see the difference between like a a B movie in the eighties and the B movie nowadays. Like, you know, you have Nick Garris doing Critters too. And like, you get like a really solid fun movie versus what you get, say with Critters four and, you know, most of Critters attacks overall. So I'm glad we did it as a series, but it, it was another one very much like the lost boys where you have like one really good, or in this case two like very strong entries. And then you're just kind of powering through, the rest of it as best you can at that point um which leads us to what do we have lined up for our next couple series well other than the you know the script reading ones and these little mm-hmm. mini episodes that we've been doing you know the the mailbag ones uh we are gonna head into aliens uh which yep. is a series that i think we have uh, something before that oh uh Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. I'm losing mm-hmm. my mind. We're going to do 
before Aliens, we're going to do Creep Show. Yeah. Uh, three movies, two really good ones, one that is a Creep Show mm-hmm. only by name. Uh, we'll try to get a special guest on that one. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, we're headed into anthology territory, which is fun because we haven't done that yet. Right. Uh, so Creep Show and then Aliens. I think if we're going to talk about any anthology series well a there's not i guess not a ton of them to talk about but creep show as far as i'm concerned is like one of my all-time favorite entries and talk about like one of those things again growing up as a kid one of those movies you got to see dozens and dozens of times growing up and really loved it and especially that first movie i gotta tell you like watching it as a kid and then watching it uh again as an adult and maybe kind of like having a better understanding of some of the dynamics that are at play um make it like really fun to go back and revisit this so i am looking forward to that uh very much all right jerry we got another one in the books um very excited to put this one to rest listeners thank you so much um for bearing with us here and you know give us a follow over at and pendulum uh one thing you can do that'll be really helpful wherever you're getting your podcasts uh whether it's stitcher or or apple podcast if you leave us a quick review if you like what you're here that (laughs) does go a long way to having listeners kind of find us um we never got negative reviews until um i said some disparaging things about a certain horror host and then all of a sudden like you know like that's the only time we've ever gotten things said about us so we could use a little bit of tnc there um that definitely does go a long way to us out uh in terms of like getting listeners over i would also encourage everybody to go and visit our um podcast network's homepage. like we are now part of the morbidly beautiful podcast network which is a collection of a ton of great shows overall through phenomenal writing and other things going over on the site so please like visit morbidlybeautiful.com um and aside from that everyone have a great week we hope we brought a little bit of joy to your day here as you're kind of cooped up uh and we hope that no one is you know getting close to reenacting three of the shining anytime soon so thanks very much and we'll be back later this week with mailbag part two and there we go